0: Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silconet in Edinburgh, joined as always by Frank Cogliano. How are you doing, Frank?
1: I'm great, David. Good morning to you.
0: Good morning. Uh, So we are now uh, more than a year into the uh, pandemic and the pandemic has heralded uh, many things in American society, but one of which is a rise in uh, violence targeting Asian-Americans. Uh, and obviously, this isn't something that's exclusive to the United States. Uh, we've seen evidence of, of, of anti Asian violence around uh, the world as, as a product of the pandemic, but we thought we would try to sort of make sense of the history of uh, discrimination and violence against Asian Americans in light of a really horrific series of events, including uh, a shooting, a mass shooting uh, a week ago in, in the Atlanta area.
1: Yeah, that's right, David. Uh, Although I think the point you just made is a good one. And unfortunately, right here in our own city of Edinburgh, there have been a number of incidents, including one involving a student outside the the university library. So this is not, uh, this unfortunately is not something unique uh, to the United States uh, in this particular moment. But there have been, uh, just to provide some context, there have been uh, President Trump, First, used the term China virus in March of last year and March of 2020. And between March of 2020 and February, the end of February in uh, this year, 2021, according to figures supplied by San Francisco State University, there have been 3,800 anti Asian incidents and attacks in the United States during that that um, 12-month period. And that excludes the events of the, the, sorry, that figure excludes the events we've seen in the past month, including the horrific shooting, series of shootings that took place uh, around Atlanta on March 16th. So there's been a real surge in the past year, which is why we want to provide some context for this uh, terrible trend. So, so David, uh, before we went on the air, you you and I were chatting about this, Uh, but believe it or not listeners, we do prepare a little bit in advance. And um, one of the things you you, you mentioned to me, which was unknown to me was the history of the term Asian-American itself. So it might help in terms of unpacking this uh, and looking at the the history of this uh, violence and discrimination to uh, talk a little bit about the origins of that term and and how how it's developed. Could you do that, please?
0: Sure. So, uh, you know, the, the term Asian-American as, as an identity uh, seems to have been created in 1968. So it's not a, a particularly old term. And it was created uh, by a pair of, of graduate students uh, at Berkeley, which is a, is a, a very large California. It's, it's much of the story we're going to be telling, I think, today is about uh, the, the Pacific Coast and California in particular. Um, and it was an effort to try to unify different uh, Asian American communities and, and recognize that, that they had more in common uh, than, than they had separate. And, and the, the two uh, individuals uh, who were, were actually a, a couple, one of whom was uh, Japanese American, one of whom was Chinese American were Emma G and Yuji Ichio, uh, And they uh, came up with this term as, as sort of an alternative to, to what was the sort of dominant umbrella term that was used at the time, which was Oriental, uh, which had all kinds of of, of imperial connotations attached to it and racist connotations attached to it. And so they wanted to create another uh, unifying term. And they were inspired very much by by the other uh, civil rights movements happening in and amongst Uh, around them. So they were inspired specifically by the the Black Power Movement, by the American Indian Movement, which in it, both of which in of themselves are efforts to sort of create unified communities. Um, We think about the American Indian Movement, you know, it's trying to create a a national identity, a unifying identity among among Native Americans, um, you know, and the Asian American Concept as a, as a, an identity really sort of emerges, starting nineteen sixty eight. It takes a while for it to, to gain traction as a as a label that people apply to themselves. Um, you know, one of think important event in terms of, of of it gets put on the census. I think in nineteen eighty as a category that you can can select uh, as your identity. Um, but it's really after the murder of Vincent Chin in nineteen eighty two that really pushes this as a, as a, as a kind of, of uh, political self-identity uh, label and, and community. Frank, do you want, do you want to talk about, about Vincent Chin?
1: Yeah. So, so the murder of Vincent Chin is a really important moment in the, uh, in this long, sad history of mm-hmm. violence against Asia, Asian and people of Asian descent in the United States. And so in 1982, Vincent Chin uh, was murdered. He'd been out. Um, he, he was murdered in Detroit by, by two auto workers. And Vincent Chin had been out with some friends. They were at a strip club. It was his, it was his bachelor party. And he, uh, there were two auto workers there. Uh, an altercation took place, uh, carried on out into the parking lot. Uh, Outside, Vincent Chin seems to have got the better of these two guys, and they hunted him for a couple of hours afterwards, and uh, eventually tracked him down and and beat him to death with a baseball bat. It was a terrible killing, and the uh, auto workers were seemingly motivated, and the research has shown this in the trial, uh, showed this because they believed Vincent Chin, who was of Chinese descent, uh, was Japanese. And in the early 1980s, of course, um, the auto industry in the United States was facing pretty stiff competition from Japanese automakers. And there was a lot of antipathy, especially in Detroit, where the auto industry and, and in Michigan generally, where the auto industry is so important um, towards Japanese car makers at that time. And, and so Vincent Chin was caught up in this moment of, um, if you will, international economic competition where he was, despite his Chinese origin, uh, misidentified as Japanese American. Not that that would have justified, of course, attacking him in such a way or murdering him, Uh, but but, but it was kind of symbolic of the kind of Asian American identity that was being, or the kind of Pan-Asian identity, if you will, that was being imposed on Asian Americans Hmm. by, white Americans who didn't make, make a distinction between it among them. One important thing to say about the, the Chin case and one reason why it's such an important uh, turning point in the history of the Asian American civil rights movement is his killers only received three years probation and a $3,000 fine for, for murdering Vincent Chin, uh, which was well, is outrageous and was a real kind of miscarriage of justice and that did a lot to uh, energize the Asian American civil rights movement. Uh, I don't know whether you have anything to add to that, David.
0: Well, just, you know, w- one of the things that, that if we look at sort of earlier periods, and we'll get to earlier periods uh, of Asian American history and, and discrimination and violence uh, later in the episode, is that, that you know, before the 1960s uh, and before the, the murder of Vincent Chin, there were, uh, and and to some degree still are, you know, animosities between Different people of Asian descent uh, that that you know that that the Asian American label is trying to overcome. You know, when we think about uh, Chinese American exclusion, that we'll talk about in a few minutes. Japanese Americans didn't object to that. You know, they didn't see themselves as being um, part and parcel of what was happening to Chinese. And they looked down on Chinese American immigrants, uh, and and so that sort of. Uh, unity among uh, people of Asian descent is a, a at least a relatively recent um, development. Although we do see hints of it definitely uh, earlier, and obviously uh, we definitely also see evidence of white Americans conflating people of different Asian ethnicities um, throughout American history. So, let's, let's- and,
1: and as a writer to that, David. So sorry. As a kind of corollary to that, I would just add. Uh, sorry uh, to interrupt you. Um, that a lot of the antipathy towards the, the Chinese in particular in California during the middle and uh, uh, the middle and, and third quarter of the 19th century um, originated and was energized by other immigrant groups, particularly. Uh, so the California Workingmen's Party was led by, a, by an Irish immigrant. And so, so we Although anti-immigrant xenophobia is a major theme of American history and has been particularly prominent in recent years, uh, not all immigrants necessarily. um, It's it's problematic to lump immigrants together Hmm. um, without without distinction. I guess. To be sure. uh, Carry on. Yeah, so
0: let's go back to to the you know there's an Asian American history that goes back as early as you want to look, but but in terms of the large numbers of immigrants and how consequentially and consequently, you know, the, the violent response to it, I guess the 1850s is probably the place to start.
1: Um, yes, that's right. I mean, yeah. there
0: are- Go ahead, Frank. Uh,
1: there are, sorry, David. Uh, there are um, small numbers of Asians in the United States and people of Asian origin uh, prior to the 1850s, but you get a surge in the, aftermath, in the aftermath of the discovery of gold in California. And, and um, Asians are drawn to California for the same reason that um, Anglo-Americans, white Anglo-Americans from the Eastern part of the United States are drawn there. They're for the same reason that tens of thousands of Europeans and Latinos from, from places like Chile and Peru are drawn there. Uh, migrants from Australia are drawn there. People go from around the world to, um, they head to the, the California gold fields and we get uh, Asians coming uh, Chinese in particular in in their in their thousands and tens of thousands and so the California gold fields really are a kind of uh, polyglot and um, and quite diverse place but there are tensions that come with that
0: oh to be sure and you know it starts in it with the gold rush but then it sort of migrates to sort of all the adjacent industries like the the especially the railroad industry, which employed thousands uh, of Chinese immigrants uh, in the 1850s and 1860s um, and sort of later, all the sort of ancillary uh, industries associated with that. Uh, But you find a a white hostility in California uh, to Chinese immigrants emerging almost immediately. And you find violence against uh, Chinese immigrants Really, sort of booming in in the 1870s probably the probably the best sort of uh, known incident is the los angeles massacre of 1871 you know in los angeles in 1871 was a small town it had 5700 people or something um of that there were 172 chinese people um and and in a massacre that ends up killing 19 of them. That is to say 10% of the Chinese population. Um, it starts off with a, a, there seems to have been a, a tension within the Chinese community over, over a young woman, but then that becomes sort of the impetus for, for the white community in Los Angeles to basically uh, conduct a, a almost a pogrom uh, in, in this, uh, in the Chinese enclave in Los Angeles. Uh, but you find in this sort of period afterwards in the 1870s, you know, a series of, of violence uh, against, against Chinese Americans. And, and they cite when, when, when people are, are just, when white Americans are describing what they find threatening about Chinese, they, they cite really three things. And, and these seem shockingly familiar. They cite disease. And we find things like the American Medical Association saying that, that they say, look, Chinese immigrants carry diseases that they're immune to, but will kill white people. You know, and there's a smallpox outbreak in San Francisco in 1875, which they blame on the Chinese. They fumigate the entire Chinese community. So they, they, they highlight disease as being one of the main threats uh, that, that they claim comes with, with Asian immigration. There is the threat they claim of Asian prostitution. They, they claim that, that, that Chinese women are, are, at least the Chinese women who are immigrating to the United States, they claim are, are prostitutes and that will spread diseases to white Americans. Again, there's sort of a connection there. And that is obviously resonances with the uh, recent shooting in Atlanta about that. And it's this uh, fear of, of, Chinese prostitution that leads to the the PAGE Act, uh, which is one of the first major pieces of legislation targeting uh, immigration. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, you know, And the third thing people feel threatened by is that, that they claim that Chinese Americans, uh, and later other Asian Americans, will work for lower wages than white Americans will, and that they're threatening their jobs. And again, this is a, a theme that we see much later on, whether that's in the Vincent Chin murder or in, in subsequent events where, uh, you know, all three of these themes seem to be sort of reoccurring uh, throughout uh, American history.
1: Yeah, it is remarkable, David, how consistent those themes are. The, the, those are the big themes, if you will, in, uh, that seem to animate much of the violence Uh, Toward that's directed towards Asians and uh, people of Asian descent in in the United States over the past 170 years. It's incredibly, it's incredible how consistent those those themes are. There's the kind of uh, and and they're wrapped up together often um, in in ways that are make it difficult to kind of uh, unscramble. But but they are really really consistent themes and and the. They go hand in hand, of course. So at times when uh, Americans feel threatened economically by Asians uh, or people of Asian descent, either within the United States or in the international arena, the violence, uh, the concern about disease and prostitution and the sexualization of Asian women in particular, um, and, and seeing that as a danger, um, th- these themes really emerge. And, and it's, it's incredible how consistent these themes are in the course of American history. So I'm just, I, it's a long winded way of endorsing what you say. Uh, and, and the Page Act, which you mentioned, is adopted in 1875, and it specifically targets and excludes Asian women, Chinese women from the United States and, and, and on the grounds that they, that they represent a threat, uh, that they are prostitutes and they represent a threat to, well, a, a temptation to white men but also a danger to white women, undermining the virtue of white women. Mm. And so th- their very presence. And, and so, th- so that's a very, very consistent theme. But that causes its own problems because one of the, one of the concerns that emerges in the 19th century is that these um, Chinese communities in, in the Western part of the United States, in California, and then spreading eastward into the, the mountain west are often male dominated um, you've got large mm. groups of young men who themselves can't form families or have sexual outlets, and and look, and and so there's a kind of tension associated with that, which then leads to further persecution. So it's a very very uh, complicated and and um, d- well dangerous for the for Asian people uh, mix of mix of views going on there. I think, and there are. A series of riots. So you mentioned the, the 1871 riot in, in Los Angeles. There are a series of riots mm. in the 1870s and 80s um, across um, the West, in particular, uh, mm-hmm. often in my Mi- in mining towns. So you get there's a there's a riot in Rock Springs, Wyoming, in 1885, in which uh, 28 Chinese uh, people are killed. There's another one a couple of years later in in Oregon, where 34 people are killed, and there are a series of really pretty yeah. very violent mass killings that go on across the 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 Pacific and Mountain West in, in the United States and up into British Columbia in in the later 19th century yeah
0: a- 1885 seems to have been a particularly you know th- this seems to happen in waves right And 1885 seems to be one of those moments that is particular there's there's particular violence against uh, Asian Americans and you mentioned the Rock Springs you know massacre you know, and this is caused by by white miners in, in Wyoming feeling threatened by, by the presence of, of Chinese miners. But in that same year, you've got a series of cities in both uh, California and in Washington expelling their Chinese populations. So you find this in Eureka, California, uh, where the, the city basically tells the entire Chinese population, You guys have to leave now. And they actually put them on a steamboat to San Francisco and destroy all of their houses to make sure that they can't return. You find a similar event happening uh, in Tacoma, Washington, where the city decides that, that, look, we are, we are going to the city who had a immigrant mayor, but a a immigrant mayor from Germany um, decided that they didn't want any Chinese population in their community, Um, told them they had to leave about half of them left voluntarily, quote unquote, and the other half, you know, on the day that they said that they had to leave, they drove them out of the city, forced them to go to Portland and then set fire to all of their homes and buildings uh, to, to ensure that they couldn't return and to sort of erase any memory of that community ever existing in the first place. Um, and so that seems to, you know, and you find similar kinds of events happening a- across uh, the Pacific coast. Uh, there also seems to be a spike in 1806, 1807 uh, of violence. 1906, um, David. 1906. Thank you. I'm always I always say 18 because I'm just living in <laughs> the 19th century. Uh, that's just sort of where I am uh, mentally at least half the time. Um, in 1906, you find in in um, Santa Ana, California. So it's not far from Los Angeles. Uh, the Chinese community there is blamed. Uh, there's an outbreak of leprosy, he gets blamed for that, uh, and they end up burning down the, the Chinatown in Santa Ana. Um, there's a series of other uh, massacres in and riots in 1907 in Bellingham, Washington. The one interesting thing about the one in Bellingham is it's uh, not targeted at Chinese Americans, it's targeted at, at Indian Americans. Um, which had come to work in the uh lumber industry. You found riots in, in uh San Francisco against Japanese Americans. And so you're finding sort of a number of different Asian communities being targeted in that one year. And they all seem to be you know linked. Uh there's an Asiatic exclusion leagues that forms in California, which starts to see the threat as being not just Chinese but more broadly, uh all people from Asia, and it's the the San Francisco riot in particular that leads to the so called gentlemen's agreement between the United States and Japan that puts a halt to to most Chinese immigration to the United States. Japanese, Japanese. Thank you. Sorry, my uh, notes here are all confused. Thank you. Uh,
1: but but I think that I, I think there's an interesting. Uh, I mean, I think that's a very helpful summary. Uh, What we see by the early 20th century, I think, is fewer of these mass riots where where scores of people are being killed and a transition to much more formal legal restrictions. Uh, I mean, there had been legal restrictions, of course, prior to that. We mentioned the Page Act of 1875. Even earlier than that, in 1854, as early as 1854, the California Supreme Court, in the case of People versus Hall, ruled that Chinese. Uh, Chinese people couldn't testify against whites mm. in court. So and then in 1882, we get a, uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, which is a sort of successor to the Page Act. And that formerly excludes most um, Chinese uh, immigrants and Chinese workers from or Chinese workers from emigrating to the United States. And that that's enforced Frank, until 1943. Mm. And so what we see is we see and then in the early 20th century, which is a moment of both mass m- migration to the United States, between 1890 and 1920, we get mass migration to the United States, mainly from Southern and Eastern Europe. But And there's a reaction against that, which we've talked about in the past. But as a corollary to the reaction against that, there's a crackdown in the 1920s that also includes and targets, arguably targets Asians even more so than it does people from Southern and Eastern Europe. Mm. And so there's an almost total ban from 1924 onwards um, uh, on, on, Asian, on Asian migration to the United States. But with these restrictions, there's a bit of a, we don't see the kind of mass riots in the same way, at least for a few decades in the, in the, in the um, first half of the 20th century, in large part because the state is doing the work Hmm. that the riot, that that mobs did in the 19th century the state is doing that work culminating of course the the uh, the, the, the the epitome of all this uh, uh, which will be known to many listeners hmm. is the is the uh Japanese the internment of Japanese Americans 120,000 Japanese Americans um from the west coast on the from the west coast during the second world war 62 um, percent of whom were U.S. citizens. It should be said, uh, but but the so the Japanese internment is the ultimate use of state, uh, the authority of the state to control and and uh, to, to well to control and frankly persecute uh, people of Asian descent. That's the probably the, the most egregious example in American history, and certainly one that will be best known. But it's of a piece with a lot of legislation, both legislation and. International agreements that the United States entered into uh, to restrict uh, the the entrance of, of Asians into the United States, and particularly people of Chinese and, and Japanese origin, but not only. I think another important corollary uh, aspect of all this is, of course, uh, imperialism and and, and uh, foreign policy and mm. war making by the U.S. state. So we, the United States, sees an influx of migrants from Pacific Islands, particularly the Philippines, but also Hawaii, when the after the United States either acquires those places or gains control over them temporarily, as it does in the Philippines. But there's a United States fights a very long and or sorry a not terribly long, but but a several years uh, insurgency in the Philippines. fights a very bloody war in the Philippines hmm. after it acquires the Philippines in 1898, and then holds the Philippines as a colony for another five decades. And so that 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 um, that's an important aspect of this. And of course, the war in the Philippines is followed by war in asia and in the pacific during the second world war war in korea in the 1950s and the vietnam war in the 1960s and 70s and so there's a kind of consistent thread running through this of course is the united states is waging war in asia at the very moments when it's um struggling with um when many americans are struggling with how to uh interact with their asian american um fellow citizens
0: Right, I mean, one of the things you also see in the second half of the 20th century is just a, you know partially as a response to the the restrictions on Asian American immigration being removed, uh, both in the 1950s. There's there's some pretty major immigration changes, but again in, in the 1960s, um, is a you know real boom in in in. Asian-American immigration, immigration uh, from uh, Asia to the United States, and and it's uh, a greater diversity of kinds of immigrants to the United States. So whereas we had a huge number of of Chinese immigrants and later Japanese immigrants uh, in the the 19th and the very early part of the 20th century, uh, you know, in the second half of the 20th century, we're seeing a large number of South Asians, people from Southeast Asia. uh, And as you point out, lots of people from from Pacific islands of, you know, from Indonesia and from, from um, the Philippines and what have you. Um, which has made the, you know, the Asian American community as, as it's emerged in the, especially in the 80s, 90s and, and since then, you know, an extraordinarily diverse community uh, in terms of their country of origin. Uh, but also a, a very diverse community in terms of their, their socioeconomic status you know, their relationship to the United States as, as a, as immigrants, you know, some, some of these immigrant communities are coming, uh, as refugees. Some of them are coming, uh, for education. Some of them are coming for other reasons. And so there's, there's a huge diversity among the Asian American population, um, which I think is, has been, uh, Maybe a, a challenge in part for for a, for Asian American identity and for Asian American civil rights movements to sort of reconcile these various uh, components of of the immigrant community.
1: Well, and um, you know. That should be obvious in the hmm. sense that uh, we don't, we we intuitively know, and I say we, I, I mean, I, we are middle-aged white American men, so we're the wrong people to be discussing this. But there's a kind of, people have no problem in the United States distinguishing and recognizing and intuitively understanding that the experience of, say, Irish immigrants in the 19th century and their descendants today hmm. might have been different from that of Jewish immigrants from, Poland or Ukraine or Russia in the early 20th century who were fleeing anti-Semitic pogroms or persecution. And pe- people get that, but we don't many people don't make the same distinction or the same allowance for people from East Asia or hmm. from Asia generally, which of course has a far greater variety of peoples than Europe does. And 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 so it's it's this it's a little mystifying that people don't make that distinction, but 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 they, they don't, and I, or I say, should say some people, and certainly not the kind of people mm. who engage in, uh, you know, the the kind of, the, the, the men who killed Vincent Chin or the the people who are making, who, who tend to engage, the, the white supremacists who engage on a lot of this um, anti-Asian rhetoric, and in some cases violence, don't seem to be making the, those distinctions.
0: Yeah, I mean, one, one of the more uh, pernicious and, and pervasive sort of myths that developed in the later part of the 20th century is this this idea of, of Asian immigrants as, as being sort of model immigrants uh, or, or model minorities, that, that they were successful without affirmative action programs, at least certain segments of the Asian American community were. Uh, and that was harmful um, to you know, a number of different groups, that, that that model minority myth. It was harmful to, to African Americans in as much as it was used as an argument against affirmative action, but it was harmful for... Know, Asian American communities, many of whom struggled with all kinds of discrimination in, in implicit and explicit ways throughout uh, the 20th century.
1: Yes, that's right. I uh, the, the model minority, the language of a model minority is often deployed, um, again, by white supremacists mm. to distinguish Asians from other minority groups, which they deem um, to be inferior, frankly, no in order you say, well, they say to African-Americans, mm. well, why haven't you succeeded? Like the so-called model minority have. Um, so the, this is a, this is, yeah, it's, it's not good, David. It's not good.
0: So, you know, in, in we're now sort of in the, in the midst of not only a, a year of violence against Asian Americans, but also a, uh, you know, a, a year of real concerted uh, black lives matter protests. What's the, avenue to sort of combat this the violence against Asian Americans and the, and the prejudice that Asian Americans have been facing, and what's the sort of role of of civil the civil rights movement in, in its various manifestations to, to do that?
1: Oh, thanks, David. Give me an easy question. Uh,
0: this <laughs> well, you're, is... <laughs> you're the smart one in the team, so that's why uh, I give you the hard
1: yeah. Look, I look this is a really, really hard question because uh, on one hand we're in a moment of particular um, sensitivity, awareness, mm. militancy entirely justified in my view uh, uh, w- with regard to questions of race in the United States and frankly beyond mm. um, And this is exactly the moment when Asian Americans, and and their allies should be demanding that you know this violence has to stop this violence is unacceptable Mm -hmm. under any circumstances but the you know this the 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 shootings in atlanta do seem to have been a catalytic moment um for, for for many people and i think that's probably a good thing i think trying to find common cause with with the black lives matter movement is a promising way ahead uh, or could be but i think the issues you know, again i i, I want to speak with a little humility here david mm. we're the wrong people to be having this conversation one reason we Definitely. delayed having this episode was thinking well yeah we, we are the right ro- so so it, it's i i i can't say i, I don't like your question because i don't have that answer I so, if okay i had an answer i think right. i'm i'm not the right person to be making that answer because sh- um well, well, I'm sympathetic to this struggle. I, mm. I want to make that clear, and I'm not saying mm. it, it's it's. I don't think I don't think we can sit here and speak for the millions of Asian Americans. No. Or or, uh, <laughs> I know you weren't suggesting that, but 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 it's 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 it's. Uh, I, I think that if we've learned one thing in the past year is people mm. like us need to shut up and listen and have show a little humility, which is counter entirely counter to the principles of having a podcast <laughs> so we can rehearse this history but I don't think we can prescribe answers necessarily I oh, think we have for to let, sure. let those well, answers come I mean
0: in. yeah I mean just one thing that strikes me just thinking about the, the sort of parallels between um the kind uh, you know the, the the racism various forms of, of American racism is that they do sense to be much, you know the, if you think about the, the moments in time in which, which there's there's this anti- racism Chinese or anti-Asian violence in the United States, whether it's in the 1870s or 1880s um, or, or various moments in, in the 20th century, those also tend to be moments in which, which there's a tremendous amount of anti-African-American violence, yep. you know, and, and, and the rhetoric and language of, them, uh, of, of the people who are committing the violence is, is remarkably similar. You know, and, and there, there are obviously very important distinctions to be drawn and, 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 and independent histories to be, be written. But I think the connections between uh, the, 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 the plight of, of Asian-Americans and African-Americans actually have, have more points in common than they have, have points of dissimilarity, uh, at least in the post-Civil War period.
1: Yes, I think that's true. Although, just as these groups aren't monolithic, their their the challenges they face are not monolithic. And of course, there is a history of conflict and sometimes violence between mm. and among different groups in the United States, not just whites and whatever the other group you're you're identifying mm. are. I yeah, mean, on sure. one hand, we shouldn't take whites as as, as normative anyway, but um, you know, mm. so there's there's a there's a complex history of relations. Between African Americans and Asian Americans, um, in some cases, and some of the violence, some of the incidents we've seen in the past year have actually involved those mm. groups. And so we have to be a little bit um, careful about treating treating groups as monoliths. I guess the other there is an oh, element oh, what, to the to the to the Asian to to anti Asian animus in the United States that I think is worth noting, uh, and that that is the degree to which. Asian Americans, no matter how long they've been in the in the United States, whether it, as individuals, how long they've lived there, or in terms of their families, how many generations they've been there,
0: you know, mm-hmm. there's
1: there's a kind of othering that goes on where they're never quite American, right? And and we see this, and so the tension is often coincides with moments of international tension uh, involving the United States and nations in Asia. So. And uh, the killing of Vincent Chin is a good example. So the 1980s, you know, in the 1980s, there was a real fear in the United States. And you can see this in the mainstream media if you, if you go back and either view news reporting from then or look read newspapers and magazines. There's a real fear about Japan and the, and, you know, the, the uh, so-called descendants of Japan and that Japan was going to su- surpass the United States. Mm-hmm. Um and you see all kinds of manifestations of this in, 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 in popular culture as well. I think of the, the the Michael Douglas film Black Rain. I don't know if mm. you've ever seen oh, it, yeah, which yeah. Is about this yakuza and all this kind of stuff. Uh so there's a real fear about Japan, and that co you know, we we talked about the killing of Vincent Shen earlier. And so that coincided. The 80s were a very bad decade for um Asian Americans in terms of violence against them. Uh and at the moment. We have not only COVID, which the with the former president, you know, has has did a very good job from a propaganda standpoint of associating with China in the minds of his supporters, uh, but of course this this is happening against the backdrop of the larger rivalry between China and the United States, and the belief that. China is ascendant and will soon surpass the United States by whatever measure you want, economic power, military power, et cetera. And so I think that that international dimension does, is slightly different when it comes to, as a, as a, as a, as a source for anti-Asian animus in the United States, that we don't necessarily see, um, you know, the, 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 Prejudice against African Americans, uh, while it has deep, deep international roots, is is not rooted in those same kind of uh, uh, power politics, in, uh, geo uh, political power politics, in the in the same way. I guess um, I don't know. I, it's simply an observation. I don't have anything more to say about that, really.
0: No, I mean, I think I think you're right that that you know the language and the sort of targeting of Asian Americans does also have these strong parallels with with. U.S. foreign policy and the connections uh, therein. Yeah, you know, the, the 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 point you made made a moment ago about about Asian Americans often being seen as being foreigners, even if they're they're not, is I think a, a real another sort of point of difference with, with African Americans. And, and Senator Tammy Duckworth has actually pointed this out repeatedly. You know, she's a U.S. war veteran who has, you know, um, you know, lost her legs in, in wartime. Her father was a in the U.S. Army, but people always say, "Well, where are you really from?" And she's like, "Well, I'm American. Like my dad was, you know, like we have multiple generations of being American. I, you know, I'm about as American as you can get." She argues, but but that she constantly gets gets asked, you know, "Yes, you're a U.S. senator, but where are you? Where are you really? You know, and that that notion, um, I think, is is, is particularly pernicious." Um, Right. yes she's a member of the
1: daughters of the american revolution
0: yeah <laughs> um you know
1: um, <laughs> you can't get and, more and, american and,
0: than that right um, no
1: so one of the when she last ran uh, in her last senate race you know her 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 opponent was making several you know questioning her americanness in that way and um she made that point and he said something like i don't think there were many thai people in the continental army because she's of Thai descent mm. as well, um, and uh, but she was able to say, yes, but I'm a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, which is an organization that you can only belong to if you're descended from somebody um, who fought in the war
0: of independence. Uh,
1: I, you and I could not be claimed to be sons of the American Revolution, David, I'm pretty certain. At least I know I can't. Uh, no,
0: I, I know I can't either. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, I definitely can't. Um. Yet this
1: othering goes on. on so a United right? yeah, States yeah, yeah, so. Senator who lost, who lost her legs fighting for the United States is still asking, was, you know, where, where are you really from?
0: Right, and where, whereas that's never a question that the, you know, uh, well, you know, other American senators for the most part don't get asked that that question to the same degree. And I think that's that, that's indicative of this, you know, sense of which you know, and and you see this fairly early on, where the sense that that, that Asian Americans w- w- were. You know, not able to assimilate to the same way that, that other immigrant groups were in the at the end of the 19th century. Um,
1: so, so so David, let me let me ask, let, let me try to reframe the question you boxed me in with that I refused to answer.
0: <laughs> okay, good.
1: Given the current moment we're in, hmm. um, which is to say the, the in the aftermath of last summer's Black Lives Matter protests, which we're not the only ones we've had in recent years, but certainly the most pronounced. The aftermath of the Trump presidency. Is this a turning point for Asian Americans? So the killings, not just the killings in, in Atlanta, you know, last month, the, the very regrettable killings in Atlanta, but the, the spate of violent attacks against Asian Americans is this moment going to be different so we can look back 40 years ago at the murder of Vincent Chin and hmm. that was an energizing moment for Asian Americans frankly it didn't make the same impression in the broader culture i think i think it was a very i think it was a turning point for asian american identity but it wasn't necessarily that profound a moment for non asian americans but is do you think that the backlash against this violence against asian hmm. americans is, is, is it different this time
0: I think there's a possibility that it is um, and I think it's tragic that, that that it takes acts of mass murder to, to really uh, cause systemic change but I think this will um, you know I think it promotes a, a real active discussion about about the kind of prejudices that that, that Asian Americans are facing today and have faced for the uh, You know, past 150 years. And to to, to be sure, there are some communities that have tried to sort of wrestle with their racist pasts and the ways in which they've treated Asian American communities. Um, You know, in in the 1990s uh, and since, there have been a variety of, of communities on the West Coast that have offered formal apologies for their treatment of Asian-Americans Tacoma, for instance, issued an apology in two, uh, 1993 uh, for uh, expelling uh, their, their Chinese population in 1885. So, you know, a century and a bit later, they later dedicated a park in the city to, to, to the memory of, of that uh, community that was expelled. Uh, so I think people are, are both sort of wrestling with the past, but I think in terms of looking for forward, this could be a, a very important moment. I mean, I, one of the things that happened in the aftermath of the Atlanta shooting that, that lots of people pointed to was that President Biden spent you know, you know, a, a lot of time in the days subsequent to it, uh, speaking with, with Asian American leaders in the, the Atlanta area, um, which they were impressed by, um, which I think points us in the, hopefully in the right direction. But what do you think?
1: I mean, a crucial, uh, well, I, I think, <coughs> excuse me, sorry about that. Um, I think it is, I think there is a possibility for change, not least because the country is changing so much. Hmm. The demographic changes in the country are such that, you know, whites will, within the next couple of decades, be the largest minority in the country, not the majority. So we can no longer assume that uh, people like you and me are the norm when we talk about Americans, mm. um, and that's a good thing. But that that means that that history and these incidents take on a different, literally a different complexion, um, mm. and, and need to be seen or and will be seen in in a different light because they don't they don't resonate or they resonate in a very different way in a country that's that's increasingly diverse. And I think that's a good thing, and I think that they. Um, I'm I'm hopeful that maybe this time it will be different, and hmm. I, I very much hope this isn't one time. You know, we we've proved repeatedly in the past several years that we're terrible at making predictions, but this is one prediction I dearly hope is comes to pass that maybe that, you know that this this that that uh, things will improve as a result of this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that they're you know, the vice president is is of Asian American descent. Um, as well as African American descent, I think that's an, an an important milestone that 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 should be you know noted upon. And I think that's you know, in and of itself doesn't fix anything, but I think it's indicative of of some of the changes that are the United States is going through and and is will be going through in the in the years to come as as the demographics of the country change. Right. Well, we will watch this issue with 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 great interest in the years to come. Hopefully, uh, the the sort of violence that we've seen over the past year uh, comes to a stop, and and that uh, you know we come to a sort of national reckoning on on, on this very long and dark history. Uh, time for last drops, Frank. Right, give give us something um, yeah, more so, update to look to look forward to.
1: Sure. Well, th- this is. Um... This is, I've got a happy last drop in, in in that I want to recommend an upcoming event to people that's going to take place on Wednesday, April 7th. So it's only two days from now. Um, and it is an event which is going to be hosted by or presented by my my our colleague, Rob Dunbar, who's professor of Celtic. Rob is a great, great guy. And I'm quite sure this is going to be a great event. I had a meeting with him last week. Rob is speaking about the... Uh, Gaelic connections between uh, the United States and Canada and Scotland. So I say, uh, so so this week is Tartan Week in the United States because tomorrow is Tartan Day, April 6. I have a rant about that. You'll get to that in a second. You've heard it before. I know people (laughs) love this rant. some people tune in for this rant, but, but exactly. let me promote Rob's event first. So so Rob, who's professor of Celtic here at the University of Edinburgh, will be doing an event on the connections between the Celtic connections between um, Scotland and the U.S. and Canada. And he'll be talking about Gaelic in the U.S. and Canada, but also the impact of scholars from the U.S. and Canada on the study of Gaelic and Celtic culture here here in Scotland, uh, and Rob is part of that that movement himself. He he he's he's Canadian. Rob's a very good speaker. He's a very good guy. It is on. We'll put it in the show notes. But the the event is um, on Wednesday, April seventh at seven p.m. UK time, uh, two o'clock on the East Coast in the U.S. 11 o'clock Pacific, um, and it's going to run for about 90 minutes, and Rob's going to speak and take questions about these these uh, Celtic connections between the U.S. and Canada and, and Scotland, and I think it's it's going to be worthwhile. As for Tartan Day, which is tomorrow. Oh, jeez. Uh, okay, here uh, we go. <laughs> so this is my biannual. I do this twice a year. You'll <laughs> Listeners will know this. I will state clearly and unequivocally that there is no connection at all between the Declaration of Our broth which was adopted on allegedly adopted on April sixth, um, and the U.S. Declaration of Independence. This is a fantasy which is perpetuated and promulgated by nationalists both in scotland and in the united states and it is not true you will hear this again on july 4th when i will say it again david has heard me say it more Mm -hmm. times. he's probably got a drinking game based on it but so so tartan (laughs) week or scotland week as we now call it is fine there's nothing wrong with celebrating scotland's influence on the world and Scottish scottish uh north american connections i'm totally fine with that but this particular connection is a fantasy, it's not true, don't let people say it to you. David, your last drop?
0: You know, Frank, well, they're, they're, we're having an election for the Scottish Parliament soon, Frank. I think maybe you should run on that particular one note issue. Uh,
1: <laughs> on the anti-declaration of our growth party, yes. That would make me very popular.
0: Hostile to the Declaration. of Our have, Earth, really.
1: No, no, no. I you. That's true. I have no problem with the Declaration of Arbroath, <laughs> even though it wasn't known as such until the 1920s. Um, it's just not the inspiration. There's no connection between the Declaration of Arbroath and the U.S. Declaration of Independence. None. Not a zip. None.
0: Uh, I, you know, I've se- there. There have been weirder single-issue candidacies in, in in both Scottish and American political history. So, you know, why not? Um, that's true. Writing candidate. David, what's your last drop? Uh, I want to point to an interesting article by Kelsey Miller, who I think is a, a journalist, uh, not a historian. But anyway, uh, it's about the history of the bathroom scale in the United States, which I thought was interesting because bathroom scales are, you know, ubiquitous, and I think uh, some people are are breaking theirs out of, of, of uh, taking theirs out to try to sort of lose the weight people have lost or gained during the pandemic. Uh, but but it's a very interesting history about why Americans. Uh, have, everyone has a bathroom scale. I had a bathroom scale growing up, Frank. Did you have a bathroom scale? Nope. Your family didn't have a bathroom scale. Well, that's probably healthier, um, at least in terms of people's mental health. Anyway, uh, it seems as if bathroom scales are introduced to the United States in, in 1885 and that she has a whole story about how, how they were originally conceived of and why they became very popular. Uh, so, so an article, uh, fun reading about the history of the bathroom scale in the United States makes you sort of look at, at, at the things around you in new ways.
1: Excellent.
0: All right. Good. Until next week, Frank. Cheers.
1: Cheers, David. Happy Talking Day.
0: <laughs> the Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh, and Frank is professor of American history and dean international for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at whiskeyrebelpod, Pod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.